Well, tonight we continue our look at the big questions. Uh, we continue our look at the big questions. For our next two meetings, for the next two meetings, we're looking at the same question. And that question is this. Why can't we just agree that love is love? To put it another way, does it matter who I love? Or does it matter what I do with my sexuality? Right? That's a big question in our world today. Uh, most of you, I think, have a scripture sheet. If not, they're on that side table. You can grab one. Um, and I'm going to read for us in starting the first three passages that are on the front of that scripture sheet. So let me read God's word to us. First, Matthew 15, 12 through 20. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 and 18-20 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 John 4, 7-10 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is God's living and active word. Let's pray. Father God, would you help us tonight to listen to you and listen to your wisdom and to tune out the voices and the lies of the world, but to hear what you have to say to us about who we are and who we should be. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to participate in what was called a blindfold race. So I was blindfolded with a couple of my friends and put on somebody's back and paraded through our college campus, turned in circles over and over so I didn't know where I was, and eventually dropped down somewhere. And they said, okay, find your way back to where we started. Now the problem was, as soon as I was set down, I had a bunch of people around me all telling me what to do. Go left, go right, go forward, go backward, right? And I had to figure out who to listen to. Because some people just wanted to see me run into a door. Some people wanted to see me hit a tree, right? Some people wanted to see me just take as long as possible and go in the opposite direction of where I needed to go. But there were some people who I knew cared enough about me to, want to point me in the right direction, right? They wanted me to win. They wanted me to go the right way. Our game tonight, right? We had multiple Simons trying to do Simon Says, and you had no idea who to listen to. And when you don't know who to listen to, it's really hard. And you're frustrated because then you're like, wait a second, I'm out. <laughs> How did I, I didn't know who Simon was, right? We need to know who to trust, but we also need to know who to tune out. And so when it comes to ideas of love and sexuality, there are many voices shouting at us what to believe, what to do, who to be. 
And so in order to listen to what God says, we need to know who to listen to, but we also need to know what to ignore, what voices to tune out. So this is why we're doing it in two parts, because the first part tonight is talking about the lies we believe. And by talking about those lies, we we can then tune them out so that next time we can really hear what God and his word is saying. So the first part of this question is the lies that we believe. And the lies are up here. Listen to your heart. Let this define you. And love is love. So first, the first lie we hear is just listen to your heart. Right? In order to figure out what to do about sex, what to do about love, just look inward. What do you want to do? What do you feel like doing? What does your heart say? Right? We're told all the time, just trust your feelings. Go with your gut. But what does Jesus say about our hearts? What does the Bible say? You see this passage in Matthew 15, 12 through 20. Let me give you a little more context. Jesus had just spoken to the religious leaders, and the, and the disciples came to Jesus and say, hey, the Pharisees were offended at what you said. His disciples point that out, and Jesus says the problem is with the leaders. He says, verse 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. He says they're not planted in God. And in verse 14, he calls them blind guides. And he says if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. And then in verse 19, he speaks about the heart. What does he say about the heart? Verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Should we listen to our heart? (laughs) No, no, look at that list. Look at all the things that come out of that, right? It's a long list that includes sexual morality. Jesus is saying, don't listen to your heart. Rather, you need to be planted in God or else we're blind and we're being led by blind guides. And listening to our hearts will actually lead to sinful actions. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all, all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In fact, one chapter later, Jesus is going to say this about what it means to be a Christian. Matthew 16.24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, that means a lot of things, but one of the things that means is the Christian life isn't listening to your heart, just doing whatever you want. It's actually denying yourself and listening instead to God. So we need to listen to the God who made us and the God who knows us best. So don't listen to your heart, listen to God. You'll note on the back of your scripture sheet, I've printed a lot of John chapter 4, where Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. And we're going to talk about the story and come back to it each time, because I think it has a lot of things about what we're talking about tonight. So the woman in the well in John 4 wants a drink of water, but she comes at high noon and nobody else will go out to get a drink of water. Why? Because she's had a really hard life and some hard things have happened to her. Jesus is going to talk to her later that she's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband, right? And so she's thirsty, she's seeking water, but she's also seeking love, true love. She's seeking companionship. She wants that. And Jesus says to her about the water, if you keep drinking this water, you're going to be thirsty again. That's also to say, if you keep seeking Love, like other people around you are seeking it, like trying to figure out your own way or listening to your heart, that's also not going to satisfy you. But instead, Jesus offers what? He offers her living water. What do you and I want water from? From ourselves or the one who made water and is living water and who's going to satisfy us? Instead of listening to our hearts, we need to listen to God. Think about that blindfold race. What if I told you the people telling me to go this way and that way were also blindfolded? You'd say, don't listen to them, right? They can't see a thing. But that's what Jesus is saying, right? Too often we're led by the blind. It's the blind leading the blind. But what does it look like for us to listen to God and not to listen to our hearts? Like Jesus says, we need to be planted and rooted in God, right? And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
you still can be planted and rooted in God. How do we do that? Through his word that he's given us and through his church where we can come together and, and have fellowship and community, right? This also means listening to what the Bible actually says about sexuality. We're going to talk more about specifically what the Bible says next time. But in listening to God, we have to listen to his word and listen to it not in a way that kind of says, well, I want it to say this, so it says this. We have to listen to it for what it is. It also means we need to have these conversations together in Christian communities so we can listen to what God's word says together. It's really easy to fall into listening to our hearts. The world is telling us to do that. Everywhere we turn is telling us to do that. But for some of us, it looks different. For some of us, listening to our heart when it comes to sex and love means doing whatever we want to do, just fulfilling our desires, going after what we want. Right? But for some of us, listening to our heart actually looks like being judgmental based on what other people have done or haven't done. Right? To say, well, this person has sinned in this way, and I'm much better than that. Believe it or not, that's also listening to your heart. That's also not listening to God's word. Right? That's also listening to pride and judgment. But we need to listen to God. Both people, both sides need to listen to God and his word, who offers both truth and love to all of us. But so often you and I aren't led by blind guides. Right? Sometimes we think about, well, what does this celebrity say? Or what does this magazine say on sex? What does this song say about what it means to be in love? Right? What do I see on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat? What do I read about on the internet? What do I see in movies and TV shows and those videos I shouldn't have been watching online? Right? All these things are blind guides. They're all blind guides. Listening to them is not going to satisfy us, and we're just going to end up in a pit. And some of you know what that feels like to end up in that pit. And this also means as good friends, as good Christian friends, we should point one another away from our hearts into God, right? So you have non-Christian friends. This also means you can say, hey, you can start with who God is, right? Rather than the things they need to do or not do. Start with who God is and helping them listen to God instead of their hearts. So instead of listening to our hearts, we need to listen to God. The second lie we believe is let this define you. You and I are told that the most important thing about us is how we express our sexuality. What, if, what I feel is who I am, and that's who I have to present to everybody, right? There's a pressure you guys have to act. There's a pressure to define yourself by your sexuality. But what does the Bible actually say about who we are? Genesis 1, God says we are made in his image. We're made in his image, not our own image to figure it out. No, God has given us his image. So this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, verses 9 through 11, right? And God says here he doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be taken in. He doesn't want us to be led by blind guides, which is a great thing, right? But he has this list. He says, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, that's a big list, right? <clears throat> and the people are in, the, in this list are people who are defined by these actions. That that's who they are, and they keep pursuing this because that's who they are. That's what they're defined by. People who keep on in these things, right? And it has this list. It includes sexuality, but it includes all these other things. But look at what verse 11 says, right? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Which means if you're in Jesus, something is different. Those things no longer define you. You're now defined not by your sin, not to keep on sinning, not even defined by your sexuality, but you're defined by Jesus and who he says you are. And that's good news because what he says you are is washed. 
sanctified, justified. What he means here is you're made new, you're made holy, you're made pure before God. In Jesus, this is who you are on the deepest level. Washed, new, holy, and pure. So those sins no longer define you, right? Or somebody else's actions against you no longer define you. And that can be really hard. Some of you may have hurt others. Some of you may have been hurt yourself in these areas. And I'm sorry, that's really hard. But God says those things don't define you. If you are in Christ, you are washed. You are pure. You are made holy. So this leads to what Paul says in verses 18 and 20, right? What is it that defines you? He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He says, what is it that defines us? Actually, we're defined by not being our own. We're not our own. We're bought with a price by Jesus. So we're defined not by what we have done, but by what God has done, right, in Jesus. And that has the effect of helping us flee from those things that we thought defined us, but they actually don't. And this new definition is good news for all of us. All of us. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That list in verses 9 through 10, it lists sexual morality, it lists other sins. And some of us think, well, I'm not on that list, so I must be okay, right? But what Jesus says in Matthew 5 is pretty revealing. He says, if you've had lustful thoughts, if you've had impure thoughts, then you've committed adultery in your heart. So it's not just actions that are sinful, but it's the thoughts and the desires we have. All of us are in the same boat. All of us are in in sin and in need of God's grace. But the good news is, if we're in Jesus, we're not defined by these things. We're not defined by these desires. We're not defined by our sexuality. We're actually defined by Jesus. Back to the woman at the well. She's uncomfortable when and Jesus starts speaking about her husband, which makes sense. So she asks him this odd question about, well, where should we worship, right? But look what Jesus says. He says, God is seeking worshipers, both in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is saying is, hey, we're meant to be, at our core, worshipers. We're meant to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so what Jesus is doing for this woman is Jesus is pointing back to her true purpose, her true definition, back to Genesis 1, made in the image of God. And he's saying, hey, that's actually more important than your sexual history. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. It's true. He's saying, don't let this define you. Let who you're supposed to be in God and his image define you. Right? So don't let this define you, but let Jesus define you. Jesus will say later, I am the vine and you are the branches, meaning we're defined by being a part of him. And as we're a part of him, we get life from the inside out. And if you put a branch on a vine, right, eventually that branch with life and health will start bearing beautiful fruit. And that's what Jesus says is meant to be true about us. We're defined by being in him. So what does it actually mean for us to let Jesus define us on a day-to-day basis? What does that look like? Well, something, about, some, something as simple as the language we use. Somebody asks you who you are. What are you all about? Or sometimes, who do you think you are, right? How do you define yourself? Do you define yourself as washed, sanctified, justified, made holy and pure? That's really hard to do, but that's what's true of you if you're in Jesus. Do we define ourselves by our sin or our sexual preference or by what God has done in Jesus, which has given us freedom? This also helps us in talking to non-Christians because sometimes we don't know where to start, right? We know the Bible says there are these sinful actions and we don't want them to do sinful actions, but we don't want to just say, don't do these sinful actions, right? That actually helps us because we can start at the center. 
You know how I talk about those, that the fruit on that vine? That fruit only comes when that vine is rooted, to, or the branch is rooted to the true source, Jesus. Which means we can work from the inside out, right? Before we say, hey, don't do this, do this, we should say, hey, what about Jesus? What about what he's done, right? Giving them, hey, this is actually what Jesus has done for us, and that's who we are. Help them see that their definition on the deepest level isn't one of sexuality, but one of the God who made us in his image. We work out from the center, Jesus, and then the actions follow after that. Because if Jesus changes hearts and minds and the Holy Spirit does that, then those things are necessary for the change to occur. It's easy to point fingers. It is. It's easy to say, well, this person's a sinner. Look what they did, right? But Jesus says to that person, if you're in Christ and me, you're holy, you're pure, you're new. That also means we should have great respect for people struggling with desires that they don't want. We all do this on some level, but some people really wrestle with these desires, and that's really, really hard, right? But notice what Matthew says, sorry, 1 Corinthians says, and such were some of you. It's going to be true in the church that people come out of these lifestyles and say, I'm now made new in Christ, and that changes who I am. And we should have respect for them trying to live a faithful life when it's really, really hard. Also in the church, sometimes we let this define us in a really weird way. Right? We let our sexuality define us by saying, you have to be married. And if you're not married, something's wrong with you. Right? That's sometimes how we let sexuality define us in a warped and twisted way. But the Bible says that's not the only option. You don't have to be married. There's an idea of singleness in the Bible. And singleness is good, and it's a calling given from God. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Right? And so sometimes we let this define us too much in a way that Jesus never talked about. And that's a problem. So we don't let this define us. We let God define us. Third, we hear the lie that love is love. Sometimes we hear people say, well, just love is love, right? Love is a good thing, so anything that's loving must be good. But that raises the question, what actually is love? You can't just say love is love without having a definition of what love is. For example, I love God. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my friends. I love y'all. I love a good book. I love playing soccer, and I love chocolate. I say I love in all of those senses, but some of those mean a lot more than others, right? I hope so. What do I, yeah, I hope, you hope so, exactly, you hope so, yeah, right? When I say I love Amy, I mean something much greater, much deeper, much form, more fundamental than when I say, oh yeah, I love chocolate, right? It's an overused word sometimes. People say love is love, but everybody has limits. doesn't matter who you are. Everybody says love is love, but like, this is okay and that's not okay. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody puts limits up somewhere. And the question is this, what are the true limits? Who defines what love is? Well, that brings us to 1 John 7 through 10. Four, sorry, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. In verse 7, we see this, Beloved, let us love for one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So true love comes from God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, what does that mean, God is love? It seems so simple, but you're like, wait a second, what does that even mean, right? That means love isn't simply an action God does, but it's actually who he is. Love, true love, comes from God. He defines it. It is who he is. If he was not, if he was not love, he would not be God. Think about this. Think about Captain America, right? So what if Captain America was not from America, didn't like America, and wasn't a captain? You would say... <laughs> You're not Captain America. Like, it's literally in the name, right? You can't, you can't be that. In the same way, God is love, and that is fundamental to who he is. 
definition of love actually comes from God. And that's a definition he hasn't kept secret. He's written about it in his word, but verse 9 actually says he showed it to us. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest, shown among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In case we're not sure exactly what he means by that in verse 9, he tells it us again in verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love, not that you and I loved God. Left to our own devices, you and I are not loving. We're selfish. We only love ourselves. It's really hard to love other people. But God loved us and sent Jesus. And there's this weird word, word here called the name propitiation. What does it mean, right? It means that God sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. For the times when we haven't been loving, when we aren't lovely, when we're selfish, when we do evil things, God sent Jesus to pay for those things. Like we heard earlier, you and I were bought with a price. So verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, which means you and I should get our picture of how to love from God, not from some vague idea of what love is or what's loving, right? No, God is love. Once again, back in John 4, the woman responds to the worshiper's comment and says this, verse 25, let me read it for us. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She knows that somebody is coming who's going to tell them all things, including what it means to truly be loving. Right? You catch that? And the beautiful words of Jesus in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That one who knows everything and teaches us, the one who knows what love is, the one who is true love, he's standing there in front of this woman who's been looking for this her whole life. Right? She's had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. But Jesus says, I am the true bridegroom who knows what love is. I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And so we see what she does in verses 28 and 29. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people. Catch that. She left her water jar. The whole reason she went out there in the first place was because she was thirsty. Right? Why did she leave her water jar? Because her life has been changed. She has the living water. She no longer desires what she desired beforehand because she's met the living water. And then verse 29, she says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, I could spend a whole night talking about this phrase, but she says to everybody, he told me everything I ever did. Now, how would you feel if somebody came up to you and told you everything you ever did? That would be freaky. That would be freaky. It would not be comfortable because there are a lot of things we've done that we don't want people to know, right? Mm -hmm. But she understands that her life has been changed changed. Her life has been restored. Those things that she did no longer define her because now she's been made new in Christ. Her life has been changed. She's been forgiven. How can God forgive these sins? How can Christ forgive these sins? Because she would be, when Jesus went to the cross, bought with a price. He gave up his life for us. But he didn't just give up his life. He rose from the dead. This kind of love is true love. So it's not going to help us to just say, well, love is love, and we have to have some vague idea of loving. No, God has loved us. God is love, and he's done so in such a powerful way in Christ that we have to have that in mind. So God is love. What does it mean for us that God is love? That means you and I have hope, right? Just like the woman who said, he told me everything I ever did and was happy about it. If you're in Jesus, we can look back on those things and say, God has made me pure. God has made me new. God has washed me clean. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
It also means that God sets the pattern of love. Remember verse 11, right? Since God loved us like this, let us love one another, right? So how did Jesus love? How should we love that way? Well, think about the woman he met at the well. He knew about her sexual history. He knew about her brokenness, and he went towards her to love her. He went to her. And he didn't just leave her in that and say, yeah, this is fine, keep going. He offered her something better. The definition of being holy, pure, made new before God. Right? There's a world that believes a lot of different things about love and sexuality. But do we just say, oh, this is right and this is wrong? Or do we say this is better? This is truer. This is more important, more fundamental to who you are. He didn't just leave her in her suffering. He offered her something better, the living water. So how in our conversations can we point to the truth of Jesus and his transforming love, the living water that will satisfy us? So when we wonder what love is and what to think and what to do, we need to look to God. In Isaiah, in the first chapter, it has this phrase, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I know many of you guys on Thursday saw the snow coming down, huge snowflakes, right? So beautiful. All of us in this room have sinned. All of us have fallen short. Some of us have sexual sins. Some of us have unwanted desires. Some of us have done things we regret. Others of us often try to judge those people and think we're better than them and have self-righteousness, right? That's also a sin. But the beauty of what God says is, though your sins are like scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. That if you're in Jesus, you're washed, you're new, you're pure. There's confidence to live that way. So three truths in the midst of a crazy world, millions of voices telling you what to believe about sex and love. Listen to God. Let God define you. And know that he, know that God is love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your example of love. Thank you for the love that you loved us with. Because we didn't love you, but you loved us and sent your son Jesus for us. Lord, would you give us strength to live this kind of love out in the world? Uh, Lord, help us to be controlled by this love. Help us to be good friends and witnesses to Christians and non-Christians alike about the true and living water, Jesus. Lord, would you give us bold wisdom and love in a world that needs this hope? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.